you know, not, not, not necessarily sitting there antsy, biting your nails or anything like, like just something to get to get amped about. Still trying to figure out how they won that game, John. Still trying to figure out how the Saints are one and now. Down sixteen <laughs> freaking the Fal- points. The Falcons, the uh, Falcons, baby. That's, the that's Falcons what are going to do. This is who they are. It's so true. You can change the coach. You can change the quarterback. Uh, this, this, you can change what stadium you play in. You can move <laughs> a couple of churches to build a new one. Uh, it does not matter. This is what the Falcons do. This, this is their identity until proven otherwise. Uh, it's so true, isn't it? The Falcons, when they have a lead in the fourth quarter, it's getting cute what happens to them. They always seem to lose it. So much more coming up on that game. But first of all, welcome into the show. We're back for season number three of the Saints Wire pod. Excited for that. We're kicking it off right here. I'm Ryan O'Leary, playing host. And I'm joined, as always, with my friend John Sigler of USA Today's Saints Wire. What's good, John? I know the Saints are keeping you busy. That was a wild-ass game week one. That was crazy. Always, always busy here, man. Uh, this may be the busiest, like, quote-unquote, small, small market beat in the NFL. It's crazy. Um, and, and that game was crazy, too. You know, it, it was looking kind of ugly there for the first three quarters. And then th- things really started going the same way. Uh, Michael Thomas got up to speed. Uh, uh, James finally uh, working out timing issues with him. They had, they had a drop. They had some misfires early on. And those two just went off. And that opened up everything for the same offense. Jarvis Landry went off. Chris Olave made a couple of huge plays. Third down, two-point conversion. Uh, just a really impressive uh, rebound by them. And you got to hope that they'll carry that momentum over into week two with Tampa Bay here. And, and hopefully not take quite so long to uh, get up the speed and start to move the ball. It was so rough in the first half. Atlanta had such a lead, and it was like kind of playing uphill, right? And then all of a sudden, it does, it does open up later in the game. And I thought Atlanta... Once they got up 16 in the fourth quarter, 16 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's that's a hard one to come back from, right? The Falcons get up 16, John, and it really felt like they kind of sat back a little bit, maybe played like a loose defense, like a loose zone defense. And once Jameis hit a couple passes and got the ball to Michael Thomas, right, and started getting into a rhythm, it looked different. It looked good. It looked like this offense that we've been kind of wondering about, right, this offense with Alvin Kamara and... Michael Thomas back, and now Jarvis Landry added to the mix, and they drafted Chris Olave. Like this, this offense has a chance to be potent, right? And I think we finally got a glimpse there in the fourth quarter of what it could be when when Jameis, as he kind of said afterwards, right, it was basically backyard football. We said, "Nope, we're just gonna we're gonna we gotta sling it." We're down sixteen in the fourth quarter, and and once they started just opening it up and slinging it, it looked pretty good. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, they were playing with a really great tempo, uh, moving the ball with with rhythm. Um, you saw you saw all of the big names get involved. Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, uh, Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara had had a couple of receptions there. Um, it was just a really impressive effort late in the game. Showed a lot of resiliency, um, and to me, it really validated uh, what we've been saying about this team. You know, this is a very experienced, um, very well seasoned Saints team. These are not a you know a bunch of uh, leaderless rookies or anything like this. Um, or, you know, some past his prime uh, vet outing on the bench like Aaron Rodgers. This is a real team with real ambitions, and they're going to be competitive this year. And the, and if you can come down uh, from from a beat, if you can come back from being down 16 points in the fourth quarter, uh, to me that suggests you can take on anybody anywhere, anytime. And that that's kind of the culture that the Fallon has been trying to build with this team. And it was just really validating to see that come through. So. Uh, something that really stood out to me with the offense is just how is just how much better it performed when they stopped getting cute and started just you know 
of, you know, for riding their horses essentially. We're getting those big games, those big off-season acquisitions involved. Whenever they stop subbing out, you know, Michael Thomas for Marquez Callaway or subbing out Chris Olave for uh, Deontay Hardy, and they, they kept their stars in the game and trusted them to make a play, that's what they went out and did. And I think that really needs to be the formula moving forward. I know that historically – uh, this, the Saints offense with Pete Carmichael really values uh, personnel and using specific guys in specific situations. But whenever you have, you know, shoot, you have three receivers who could be uh, pro bowlers this year. I, I mean, I mean that that is very possible. That that's a very realistic expectation. Is that any any one of these three guys could reach could reach the Pro Bowl? It's not multiple of them. And I think you've really got to lean on that partner and and trust them to um, carry, carry the, the load and and you know, push, your, push you across the finish line here. Yeah, and I know you loved what you saw from Jarvis Landry. You're loving yourself some Jarvis Landry, right? You wrote about that on the Saints Wire after the game, and the fit is even better than you had imagined, John. It was, yeah. You know, the expectation all summer has been that Chris Olave is going to be the primary downfield threat. Michael Thomas can make a play anywhere, but he's also better used at like the intermediate range. And then Jarvis Landry, you know, for his first what seven years he's been in this league, has really been a short, short range uh, possession receiver, doing a lot of damage after the catch, and not really uh, run, just frankly just getting many looks uh, deep downfield. And the Saints just flipped that on his head. They said, "Hey, we're going to use you like like you were deployed at LSU." And we're going to trust you to run 40 yards downfield and make a play in, in the final minute of the game. And that's what he went out and did. And that was just so exciting to see because that's not an element of his game that we've seen before in the NFL. That we've seen teams, team after team, the Dolphins did it, the Browns did it. They, 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 they did not trust him to run past corners and be a technician and get open uh, at the furthest reaches of, of the field. And he did that with the Saints. And you, you got to hope that it's not just catching lightning in a bottle, that this is actually who he is. Man, it, it, it's exciting because I, he was someone that I thought would be productive for the Saints. He is not who I would have expected to lead, lead the team, lead, lead the entire division uh, in receiving yards in week one um, and to be the guy who's going out and catching passes 31 and 40 yards downfield. It's just so impressive to see from him. And, good for him on kind of turning that narrative on its head that he's someone who's only effective, you know, five to eight yards away from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It's, it, it's just exciting. This, this receiving group is exciting. And I mean, can we officially say that Michael Thomas is back now, John, now over 600 days, <laughs> 600 days. since. His, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He played um, 600 days since his last live action though. Unbelievable. 602. Yeah, six hundred two to be, be exact. To to be a yeah over yeah over six hundred days is what I should have said. And he catches two touchdowns, two huge touchdowns. Right as the Saints make their comeback, do you think we're we're you know now on track to see the Michael Thomas that was the dominant receiver, right? The dominant number one receiver. Do you think we're on track to say, hey, Michael Thomas is back? You know, he's back to being himself. Do you think we're on pace for that? I think so. Yeah. Um, it, we're, obviously, the ne- the next test is on Sunday against Carlton Davis. Uh, Davis was the last corner that really got to line up against Michael Thomas when he was at full health back in Week One, way back in Week One, twenty twenty, right before his injury. And he just he guarded Mike really well in that game. And he, as we have seen since, Carlton Davis is a very talented young corner in this league, and that's going to be a huge challenge for Michael Thomas on Sunday. But 
you know, know knowing the kind of competitor that Michael Thomas is, I, if, if you told me that he wakes up every day and watches at least 10 minutes of Carlton Davis tape while he's on the treadmill in the morning, I, I would believe it. Um, I, I think that he, he is acutely aware of what, what's at stake in this matchup, um, what it means to him personally, and I think we're going to see him be really well prepared and make a really good effort on Sunday. But as, as far as Mike's performance in this game goes, he passed the first test against A.J. Terrell. Um, he, he's a corner that's been really badly overhyped by Falcons fans all summer, and Mike spanked him. You know, two touchdowns. He had like a 24-yard grab, I believe. He, he, he was very impressive against Terrell. So he passed the first test. Now he's going to go against Davis. And then we'll just see after that. But a big issue for him and for Jameis Winston has been uh, those two never completed a pass together going into this game in the NFL, like during a regular season or playoff game. They, they had not done it. And they, they've gotten, you know, that monkey off their back here. And they, they, they had some issues early on with, with the timing, the precision there, uh, Michael Thomas had one drop where it was credited as a drop. Uh, Jameis Winston placed the ball a bit too high for him, and he, he tried to catch it. He could only get one hand on it, um, and it fell incomplete. Uh, Michael Thomas slipped and fell on it on twice, I believe. Um, so there were some small issues early on, but we saw them you know, learn on the fly and adjust and go out and make plays when it mattered most. And I think now that that's behind them, they're going to work. They're going to get off to a much faster start here in week two, despite the, the jump in quality of competition. So. It's something to watch, but I mean, it's something to watch with excitement here. You know, not 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 necessarily sitting there antsy, biting your nails or anything like like this. Is something to get to get amped about. Still trying to figure out how they won that game, John. Still trying to figure out how the Saints are one and now. Down sixteen <laughs> freaking the, points. The Falcons, the Falcons, baby. That's, the that's, Falcons that's what are good. They do. This is who they are. It's so true. You can change the coach. You can change the quarterback. Uh, this, this, you can change what stadium you play in. You can bulldoze <laughs> a couple of churches to build a new one. Uh, it does not matter. This is what the Falcons do. This this is their identity until proven otherwise. The Falcons are going to Falcon. Uh, and how fun is it to start with Falcons Bucks? So we're going to be getting into that game here coming up in a little bit. But first, our friends at the uh, thehuddle.com are going to give us our their fantasy plays of the week. Check that out. And John and I will be right back. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. I'm Corbinini of thehuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number two. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Starting an Indianapolis quarterback on the road at Jacksonville isn't as comfortable as it may seem. The Colts haven't won there since 2014, and something always seems to go wrong. Ryan was a viable streamer in Week 1, throwing for 352 yards and a touchdown on 50 pass attempts. The stat line could have looked much better if two passes weren't dropped in the end zone. While there is some risk associated in starting Ryan, Jacksonville did give up 313 yards and four touchdowns to Carson Wentz last week. Tony Pollard, running back, Dallas Cowboys versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This matchup profiles better for Pollard than it does Ezekiel Elliott if the Bengals can force Dallas into a pass-happy script with Cooper Rush under center. Dallas's offensive line is a mess right now, too, which bodes well for getting Pollard out into space. He is a fairly risky play in most settings, since it's more likely than not, Cincinnati will play tight around the line of scrimmage. Expect plenty of checkdown work coming from Cooper Rush's right hand. Wide receiver Julio Jones, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Likely to be without Chris Godwin, Tampa might have to put the ball in the air more than usual against a Saints defense that is tough to run against. Wide receiver Mike Evans has not enjoyed tremendous success through the years, especially against Marshawn Lattimore when he faces the Saints. 
that could redirect Tom Brady's attention to his peripheral outlets, such as Julio Jones. Jones looked every bit the part of his former self in week one after two years of injuries derailed his career and had many people wondering if there was anything left in the tank. While we don't expect a huge day from him, there's upside for around 15 PPR points. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Gerald Everett at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers will be without Keenan Allen on Thursday night, and Everett came through as a nice streaming play in week one, finishing as tight end number four in PPR format. Expect a high-scoring game from two talented offenses, and Justin Herbert will put the ball in the air, and he seems to have plenty of confidence in Everett. For more award-winning fantasy tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back on the show, and uh, John, let's just talk about a few players that stood out to you in this game. Uh, one of them is a tight end, Jawan Johnson. Do the Saints have a new tight end one? Is Adam Troutman now down to tight end two, and is Jawan Johnson ascending to tight end one? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's very possible. That's something I explored on there on Saints Wire in, in, in the long post. Um, it, it was it was it was odd. Uh, that, that wasn't something we really saw coming in camp. Um, I want to say Adam Troutman led the team in receptions in team drills through the first two weeks of training camp. Um, and Jawan Johnson has been playing a lot on special teams, you know, seemingly just to make the roster. But on Sunday, uh, he, he he played gosh, uh, I think twice, almost twice as many snaps as Troutman did. Uh, he, he ran more routes from the sl- from the slot specifically um, than Troutman uh, played in total as a blocker and receiver and everything. So it, it seems like he has a very clearly defined role. And the only thing giving me pause and from you know declaring him TE one or whatever is that uh, I think game flow may have decided that more than anything else. Where the Saints were down sixteen points and they had to throw it and they were airing it out in the fourth quarter. And I could totally see that being that being how it played out. Like on paper, Troutman is still ahead on the depth chart, but the situation demanded more reps for, for Jawan Johnson. So uh, it's something to monitor moving forward. But I, you've got to give a lot of credit to Jawan Johnson here. Um, you know, just looking back on this guy's history, uh, he was a you know a very highly touted recruit at Penn State way back when, coming out of high school. And he ended up transferring to Oregon. He was undrafted uh, in 2020, I believe. Uh, the Saints signed him as, as, a, as, a, as an undrafted wideout. He was 6'4", 230. Uh, they converted him to tight end last summer. Had him pack on like 23, 25 pounds of muscle this summer. Um, he's worked really hard on his blocking. He's contributed a lot on special teams. Even on Sunday, he, he led the team in tight end snaps played. And he was also out there covering a kickoff and working on the field goal uh, kicking unit. So he, he, he works a couple of different roles for them. He, he's, put, he's put in the effort to hang around, and I think that's going to buy him enough time to earn the reps and the experience that will make him, you know, the, the viable uh, tight end one moving forward. So it, it's very exciting to see that for him, to see someone put, put in literally years of work developing their body and their craft and having it play off here. And another guy you wrote about was Justin Evans on Saints Wire. You talked about how the Saints are covering the slot, John, without C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and you were impressed by Justin Evans. 
Yeah, very impressed. Yeah, he. Um, so he. Let me let me double check this. Want to make sure I've got all my ducks in a row. Yeah. So Justin Evans, he was targeted five times, but he predominantly lined up lined up in the slot. He he was he was the go to slot defender for the Saints on Sunday. He played twenty five snaps there. He he was the main the primary guy dropping back in coverage from the slot, and he only gave up one catch. He was thrown at five times. He deflected one pass, forced another one to be fall incomplete through very tight coverage, and only yielded one pass for to gain like five yards that did not convert a first down. So he, he was very effective in this role. The Falcons saw him as a new starter. They targeted him often, and it just did not go anywhere for them. So good, good for him. He's another guy who has kind of um, experienced some adversity in the NFL. Uh, he was a former second-round pick by the Bucks, the same year, same round, I believe, as Marcus May and Marcus Williams, uh, but he suffered a you know a career-threatening injury. Uh, it was a lower, it was a leg injury, I believe it was an Achilles. I could be mistaken on that, but he lost a year and a half of his of his athletic prime recovering from this injury, and he was out of football for for, for quite a while. Saints were were, uh, were able to bring him in on a trial basis uh, back in May for minicamp, and he, he impressed them well enough to earn uh, to get a contract offer. He shows up for training camp um, and ju- just impresses everyone who watches him uh, get out there and compete. And that now he's replaced uh, C.J. Gardner-Dawson as the primary spot defender. So really, really good on him, man, for the, seizing that opportunity and uh, overcoming some real challenges in his life. Um, I mean, th- there are young players every day we see on the waiver wire whose careers end with, with injuries. And he's someone who was once in that position, but he's been able to overcome it. And I'm really excited for him to see uh, what, what's ahead and if he can hold on to this role with the Saints and what it may mean for him uh, further down the line. You you wonder now as we transition to this game against the Bucks, John, you know, when you don't have a CJ Gardner Johnson, who's a guy who, you know, was a key player in, in some of those those Bucks games in the in the recent past, right? Marcus Williams, another key player in some of those games. Can you still go out there and just steal the soul of Tom Brady, right? And just turn him into this like this guy who like <laughs> forgets how to play quarterback when, when he sees the Saints on the other side of the field and gets frustrated and just kind of throws in the towel like he did in that that nine nothing Saints win last year. I th- I thought um, in that game, Brady just kind of started chucking the ball out of bounds and kind of quit. The Saints had their number so well. Will the Saints be able to do it, do you think, without some of those those key guys? There's definitely some guys in, in different spots, and I'm wondering if you think the, the personnel in that Saints defense is still good enough to continue tormenting Tom Brady and the Bucks. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. Uh, the Saints have replaced all three of their top safeties last year. Uh, that's Gardner Johnson, Malcolm Jenkins retired, uh, Marcus Williams left in free agency. So that is a lot of continuity that just walked out the door, and that, that's a lot to replace. Uh, to their credit, the guys replacing them, I thought, played pretty well on, on Sunday in their first game, their first real game together, uh, that being Tyron Matthew, of course, Marcus May, uh, and Justin Evans there in the slot. And all three of them really need to come up big uh, here in this next uh, game with the Bucks. So, I don't know that you're going to replace C.J. Gardner-Johnson as um, as a character, as a as a uh, as a personality, um, as uh, someone who's kind of the firebrand of, of the defense, who's yes. uh, getting opponents tossed out of games because for 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 um, retaliation and taunting and everything. I, I mean, the 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 photo of uh, of uh, C.D. Deuce 
uh, standing up to Brady with his arms crossed. Yeah, I was going to say, that was him, right? I remember that image. Yeah, you can't, it's that, like That timeless. was him, yeah. That, that is iconic. That is iconic. Um, he, that is a lot to replace, and I don't know that you can adequately replace that. I mean, there, there are special talents in this league who are like that. Now, as far as a football perspective, yeah, the Saints have the talent. They have the horses to uh, keep, keep winning games without him, uh, keep winning matchups without him. And that's something I think about a lot um, after – Gardner Johnson was traded, uh, Dennis Allen was asked directly, what is the plan for covering the slot? Because that really had been, um, Gardner Johnson was really the only one doing that for a long time. And his answer was, well, it's going to be matchup based. Uh, it'll be one guy one week, and that's the next week we'll mix it up. We really want to make sure that, that we're winning matchups week in and week out, but putting the best player in position to win. So uh, week one, that was Justin Evans. Week two, maybe it's Bradley Roby. Maybe it's P.J. Williams. Um, maybe it's Tyron Matthews. So they, they have they, the Saints still have a ton of depth in the secondary. One thing I am concerned about is second-year corner Paulson Adebo. Um, he was the only defender not to miss the game last year. Uh, he, he played uh, all 17 games as a rookie, uh, but he suffered an ankle injury uh, the day before their last preseason game. And while at the time he said, oh, he's day-to-day, he'll, he'll be fine, he was inactive in week one, he was not spotted at practice on Wednesday, um, anxious about that because he's someone that they were counting on, you know, really anchoring that second corner spot opposite Marshawn Lattimore, and we have not seen him. So the more time he misses, uh, the more time Bradley Roby is going to be is going to be playing on defense. Um, and while Roby had a, just a terrific uh, training camp, he, he kind of got lit up at times against the Falcons. Um, their third and fourth receivers were, were winning their battles with him. So he's someone who kind of has to regain some of that momentum he may have lost um, after camp ended, um, you know, he's also someone you may say, well, maybe he's best, best suited to lining up inside in, in the slot. That's what he was doing with Houston and Denver uh, before he came to New Orleans. So they, they've got options, they've got depth, but there are enough things, you know, in motion. There, there are enough moving parts on the Saints defense that you look at and you go, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there are some problems here. And maybe that's something that Tom Brady can exploit. I mean, if anybody can exploit your your weaknesses, uh, it's probably DB12. Probably. But the Saints have won the last seven regular season games against the Bucs, John. And it doesn't matter if it's Tom Brady playing quarterback or for the Saints, (laughs) Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, or Trevor Simeon, right? It doesn't matter. Um, It just doesn't matter. So we're going to get into that matchup in the spread. The Saints are underdogs. Uh, They always seem to be underdogs against the Bucs. But how does that go usually? You know, so we'll get into the not the, well. No, not well, not well. Well, not well if you're the Bucks. All right, Bucks Saints, a 1 p.m. Eastern time slot. Bucks two and a half point road favorites going into New Orleans, which is a house of horrors for Tom Brady and the Bucks. John, um, we can't you know go over that enough. It's just they they never seem to be able to beat the Saints. They had the one playoff victory, uh, but the regular season games they just cannot figure out how to beat the Bucks. So what's your take on this spread? We always know the Bucks are going to be favored. Two and a half point favorites in this one coming into New Orleans. Uh, we know how this usually ends. What do you think? Are you back at the Saints on this one? Oh, yeah. 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 I don't the, think you've ever. The, the you have never of, once picked the Bucks in our in our three years doing the show. I love it. it oh, no, no. They're not. No, no. This is a. No, I'm not. <laughs> no. Okay, so of course not. Yeah, and my take on this here 
is, you know, a, a lot has changed in New Orleans. There are, like I said, there are many moving parts. Um, they're installing, still installing, you know, new starters on defense at some pretty key spots. But that basic philosophy remains the same. This, this team is not afraid of Tom Brady. They're not afraid to to rush him with uh, four down linemen and drop their guys in coverage and trust their secondary to clamp up his receivers because that has happened. Marshall Lattimore has clamped up Mike Evans. He has clamped up Julio Jones. He is not afraid of those guys. Um, neither is Tyron Matthews. He's been competing with them for a decade. Uh, they, they, they do have a healthy respect for Tom Brady, but they're not afraid of him the way a lot of teams are. And they trust their guys to execute their assignments and pressure him with four, sometimes five. Dennis Allen is kind of cast sometimes as a blitz happy defensive play caller. But that's not the case. He, he's not. He, he may be from the uh, the Greg Williams co- coaching tree, but that, that's not who he is. He, he's not listing on 38, 40% of downs here. He, he's very selected and very situational in fitting that fifth rusher. And he's someone who he, he has been on hand calling plays. But like you said, the, the Saints have, have beaten the Bucks uh, six out of their last seven games here. Um, that's something that uh, Bucks coach Todd Bowles uh, <laughs> said in addressing the team uh, here on Wednesday. Um, and the DA has been a major reason for that. Um, he, he understands Brady's tendencies. He understands how to beat him. And he has the personnel to do it. Um, Tampa Bay is dealing with tons of protection issues up front. They're, they're starting left tackle. Donovan Smith may not play in this game. Um, they're already down what their starting center. Both of their guards are, are new players this year. So that's potentially what? Uh, one out of their starting five returning from last year. And then you look at the, who the Saints are throwing at them. And, yeah, I know they didn't pressure Marcus Mariota uh, well at all um, in, in week one, but Mariota and Brady are two very different quarterbacks, and they're using very different plans. Um, the Falcons, uh, to their credit, uh, they, they get a ton of free snap motion involved. They, have, they dial up so much play action. They have Mariota throw in the run very often. Sean Brady is not doing those things. Now, he may sell a action uh, fake better than anyone, but he's not going to be doing that on like 60% of his pass attempts. Um, and so he, he's very much a stationary target, and that's exactly the kind of quarterback that the Saints defense has done a good job getting after. He, he is specifically is one of the quarterbacks that the Saints defense loves to play against, and I, I really like him in this matchup. Uh, what makes me anxious, though, is how well they're going to defend the run against against Tampa Bay because they got gashed by Cordero Patterson in week one. And I can totally see – I can see it now. We saw it in the playoffs a couple of years ago. As the one time the Bucks managed to win uh, whenever Drew Brees threw three interceptions and Jared Cook fumbled and Leonard Fournette ran for 100-something yards. Uh, that, that We've seen this happen before. And I can totally see it happening again if the Saints are still, you know um, – not executing their run, their run defense assignments, not plugging their gaps, not, not rallying to the ball. I, I could see this being an issue again in week two. And that, that's kind of what gives me pause. But, I mean, as, as far as the uh, the Brady versus the Saints narrative, I, I still like the Saints a lot in this matchup. You got to like the Saints. You got to like the Saints. And you get the feeling that Brady, this is probably his last year, John. It is a gift that he's back because we get another, another one of these battles, which would be kind of fun. We got two of them this year at least. But, you get that feeling like this might be his last year and the Saints have kind of had his number and he would love to stick it to the Saints, right? I think Brady would love to be to go in there and put some points on the board. 
Um, it just never seems to happen. In the total, that the total in this game on Tipico is 44 and a half. 44 and a half. So the odds makers, John, are basically telling us that they expect another slugfest between these two, right? Like a kind of a, a game in the mud almost, a lower scoring game. Doesn't that play in the favor of the Saints? Like the Bucks would like to play this one a little bit more high scoring, I think. The Saints would be more comfortable in that lower scoring game. So the total at 44 and a half, I found kind of interesting. That that's a lower total than you see for for most Brady Bucks, you know, with their offense. You don't see a lot of games in 44 and a half with them. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to me, that implies a lot of uh, trust in the Saints defense and their ability to get after Brady, frustrate him, force a lot of Tampa Bay punts. And I think that's that's founded. That has been the case for most of these games. Uh, Tampa Bay, they, I was looking at it, and they've only scored, I think I think they've scored more than 24 points uh, twice, maybe three times in this matchup, and they've only gotten over 31. And, and it's, they have just really struggled with the Saints. And again, the one time that they scored over 30, uh, it was, it's because the Saints turned the, ball, turned the ball over four times. So as long as James Winston can continue doing, and I want to talk about that for a second, actually. Yeah. So whenever James Winston left Tampa Bay, every, everyone was making jokes about him throwing 30 picks in one year and him being a turnover-prone QB and all this. He just played his eighth game in a Saints uniform. He essentially cut his turnover rate in half from what it was in Tampa Bay. And we're not seeing anything about it. We're, we're seeing Joe Burrow uh, get, getting highlighted Sunday night football after throwing what like five picks in the game. Um, and, but but Jameis Winston can't get up there. And and, and to me that that's, that's just bizarre. And it, and it feels like a lot of people don't want to admit they were wrong. Now obviously the book is not shut on Winston. Um, he's got a whole got a full season to play, and I, he, he could do just like Drew Brees and melt down and throw three picks in the game. Like like that could that could totally happen. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, and we've seen him work really hard at cleaning up that area of his game and improving it and, and just developing as a pro. And he's just not gotten enough credit for that from around the NFL media landscape here. So I'm really hopeful uh, for his sake to see him continue to protect the ball, make plays. And I think if he can do that and just continue to make, just keep making positive plays for the team, put the ball, put the ball out of harm's way, put it in the right spot. Um, I think they're going to do really well. And I could totally see them, you know, uh, out muscling the Bucks on Sunday and winning a close one like, I don't know, like 24 to 20, 21 points, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so to get back to where all this started before, before that rant, um, I, I think that over under is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's always fun with these two teams. And uh, yeah, Jameis does, pre- he, he protects the football so well now, John, that sometimes he's maybe a little too careful, right? Um, when he took some more risk there at the end of the, that Falcons game, it, it, it looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. I think sometimes you got to, you got to try to make some plays, and especially when you do get into a game against Tampa Bay, the thing with their defense is they can rush you and cover, right? They can do both. You know, sometimes you get yeah. good pass rushing defenses you face, or or one that's really good in coverage, but not so. There's there's not too many defenses that are great at rushing you and covering you. They completely shut down the Cowboys, um, and and you know sent Dak Prescott off for six to eight weeks. They injured Prescott because they were con- continually in his face. And Jameis had a rough go, you know, with his own protection there in the first half against the Falcons, right? He was kind of running for his life, getting getting hit all the time. So I do worry a little bit about how the Saints can hold up against that Bucks defense. That Bucks defense looks like it's for real. Definitely. And I do think the Bucks defense is going to do a good job of keeping this kind of a low-scoring affair. Uh, because of that, the protection issues I don't think are going away anytime soon because 
you know, Cesar Ruiz still has not really developed the way the Saints hoped he would. Andrew Pete is, you know, still kind of a turnstile at left guard. Um, he, he, gosh, and I hate, I hate to, this, gosh, he, he was drafted in like, what, 2014, 2015, I think. So it's been half a decade of, of me railing against poor Andrew Pete. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, and those guys struggled. Uh, Grady Jarrett was eating them alive. Um, James Hurst was someone that, you know, I and many others had a lot of faith in as a as a starting left tackle for the Saints here, someone that could kind of see them through for a year until Trevor Penning is ready for the job. And he was getting eaten up by uh, Lorenzo Carter. There, uh, That's the right end for Atlanta. Um, and now he's going against uh, what, uh, Joe Tryon and Cholenka and all those guys up front. Akeem Hicks is with the Bucks and Al, because of course he is. Um, the former Saint with an axe to grind. Um, so it's going to be a very physical game. It's going uh, it's going to be really tough for the Saints to up, up front to you know establish the run and all this. Um, I'll tell you a player I have a lot of respect for in Tampa Bay, someone I think is going to be a big factor in this game is uh, linebacker Levante Davis. Uh, to me, he really reminds me of uh, Thomas Davis as like this kind of elder statesman at linebacker in the NFC South who's never really gotten his due credit, who's hung around forever playing at a really high level, but he doesn't really have the Pro Bowl to show for it. Um, he's someone that has taken, you know, Alvin Kamara out of games before. He's someone that, that can guard the tight ends well. Uh, he, he still moves really well laterally, um, even though he's, he, I know he is getting up there in age as far as, his, as, far as NFL years behind him. Um, so, yeah, the, the Bucks defense, I think, is going to play it tight. Uh, it's really going to fall on the Saints' offense to make the most of the opportunities that they do get. Um, whenever they, you know, are gifted a possession, whenever the Saints' defense takes the ball away from Brady, or they have a special teams uh, fumble, or whatever it may be, they, they have got to make the most of those opportunities. And we, what we can't have is, you know, Will Lutz missing a 44-yard field goal and Tampa Bay marching down field to score. Uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be important in, in all phases on Sunday. Well, it's a great opportunity for the Saints. They got a chance to stack a couple of division wins to start the year. Falcons, Bucks. I mean, if they can win this game, John, what a what a start to the year that would be, right? So, um, looking forward to it. Bucks, Saints, John. It's great to be back on the Mike talking football with you again, man. I'm looking forward to the season. Yeah, me too. It's it's, it's been far too long. I'm glad we're back here, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this year plays out. Yeah, I agree with that. And for John, I'm Ryan O'Leary again. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and uh, we'll be back to break down Buck Saints next week. We will uh, talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.